and we're going to talk about, as opposed to stress, the downer of stress, we're going to talk about the perky subject of depression <laughs> is our second session today. Um, Matthew 26, and uh, should have a handout for that. And again, we'll try to protect a few minutes at the end for questions. Matthew 26, and uh, we're going to begin in verse number 36. Matthew 26 and verse 36. So we're talking about um, the decision uh, or decisions that we need to make uh, in seasons of uh, depression. Um, and I will just say this as we begin. One of the things I think that if we're not careful, we were just talking about it before we started, is we throw out a lot of terms without really understanding what we're talking about. For example, um, if someone is detail-oriented or a bit, I don't know, they like things to be a certain way, they have OCD. You know, we'll throw that diagnosis or that label out. Or um, that we'll say, I'm depressed. Um, and so we're going to talk about actual depression, and, and there is such a thing, and uh, making sure we process that properly. But I would just encourage you in a general sense, by doing that, you're actually um, you're diminishing legitimate manifestations of it. So I'd just be careful how you talk about those things, and not just you know um, maybe with adults, but even when you're in the car, like the kids sitting in the back row, they're forming a view of certain things. If you mock it, if you marginalize it, or you d- you diminish it to just the day to day things, then if they're struggling in that area, we have one of our son who's, sons who's working through some things right now. And and so how we have talked about it and taught about it is largely shaping how either he's open to help or not. And so Heidi and I have just been reminded of that recently. So just be careful with these terms and these um, issues we struggle with. Again, not saying there are not valid forms of it, but we just need to be careful how we talk about it and uh, portray it. So Matthew 26, let's pick up in verse 36. Uh, so we're with Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So let's talk about today the decision in depression. Again, make a note if there's something you'd like to ask uh, today or discuss. We'll hopefully have time for that. So as I mentioned, we don't have cats. We have a dog, and uh, his name is Mo. Uh, his middle name is Bacon, if you can catch the pun there, Mo Bacon. And um, he is a, a, a what's called a teddy bear dog. He's a like a hybrid or designer dog that costs you a lot of money. We got a deal on him. But um, he looks like a teddy bear. He's about maybe 12 pounds and uh, just a fur ball that has to get groomed every month or so. He just has lots of hair. Um, but he's very impulsive. And um, we live in town. We live near the College of Worcester. And so if we let him out to do his business, we don't just let him run out. We have to actually uh, chain him or put him on his leash. You know, Otherwise, he would just bolt. And... Uh, this has been a few months ago. I came home from the office at the church. This was in the evening. I must have had a late meeting or something. And I walked. We have our garage, and then we have a breezeway, and then our house. And I walked from the garage through. And as I opened the door to the main house, this smell greeted my nostrils that was very strong. And uh, 
and I walked in the house, walked around. My wife was not in the tub herself, but she was washing our dog, trying to clean him up in the tub. Here, he she had tried to let him out, and there was a skunk, like, in the front yard. And all he saw was, hey, here's a friend, or here's a, here's dinner. I don't know what he was thinking. He ran toward that skunk, and that skunk just reared back and just sprayed him. Just, I mean, strong, pungent smell. But he, so it was dark out, and all he saw, he heard a noise, and he ran toward it. You know, often um, in our lives, when we get in dark moods, dark moments, we tend to be very reactionary instead of decisive. And I just want to encourage you today, one of the things that helps us with depression more than anything else is to be less reactionary and more decisive. And we're going to look at Jesus, who is at a very low moment uh, in his incarnation, um, and how he processed this depressive moment and how we can learn from it. Somebody said this, our circumstances do not determine whether we live an expansive and joyful life or exist in a small world of self-pitying depression. It's not the circumstances, but the choices we make in light of those circumstances. So it's what we do with these emotions, even these dark moods or moments that are legitimate in and of themselves, what we choose to do is often what sets us up for success uh, or failure. Now, here in, in Matthew 26, we don't have time to get into all the context, but we're in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Which is a hillside filled with olive trees in which were several olive presses. And Jesus goes to this place, and he is literally pressed by the anticipation of what he was about to give his life and his body for, for our redemption. And so we find him here in this moment of great sorrow and depression. So I want to give you today quickly two decisions we have to make. This is a very practical session that if we'll make these two steps and mimic Jesus and how we do them with maybe some other support and help um, that we can navigate Um, full-blown depression or just maybe a dark moment that we're experiencing. Number one, let's talk for a minute about this. We need to admit that we have depression. So the first thing we have to do is we have to say to God, to maybe our spouse or to someone else in our life, our parent, I am battling with depression. I am struggling with it. And we see Jesus here modeling that for us. Um, I don't know if you remember back in, from this is at least my growing up years, we play a lot of dodgeball. I don't know if you did or you do, if that's still a thing. But every school always had that one kid, right? No, you didn't hit me as you hit him again. No, I'm still in. And it just goes on. You're like, finally, forget him. Let's just keep playing the game. You ever been there? The kid will not admit that he's out. In all seriousness, listen to me. There's no depression that God cannot give some help and healing and hope in. Except, listen to me, the depression that's not admitted. So every depression has antidotes in what God has provided for us through his word, his spirit, and others around us that have resources to help, except depression that's not owned. So we have to admit it. And I have found that a lot of times, in this true even in witnessing, it's just folks admitting they have a need. Um, And so for us to find help, we have to first admit that we have it. And we see Jesus doing that, modeling that for us so perfectly. So let's talk about a couple of things quickly under that. Number one, we need to admit with decisive feelings. I know that sounds like kind of like opposites, but we have to admit that we have depression with decisive feelings, being decisive with how we feel. And we see Jesus being willing to own this. 
In fact, I would submit to you, this is the lowest moment in Jesus' life emotionally. It says the idea here is to be grieved or distressed unto death. It's so difficult and so weighty that death is viewed as a lighter option. It's viewed as a better option. That's uh, the deal here. And so we see Jesus being willing to admit that. In verse 37, it says, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. How does Matthew know that Jesus was becoming sorrowful and very heavy? In just a moment, we're going to talk about it because Jesus shared that. He was willing to admit as the Son of God in the flesh um, that he was feeling some things um, in his body and in his mind and heart. Um, So I want to give you quickly, and we'll talk about this with anxiety tomorrow, but can I give you three areas that feed our feelings that we need to be decisive with? First, our feelings are theologically rooted. So I think I gave you these sub-points. Let's talk about theologically rooted feelings being very clear in our thinking about things that are fed by our theology into our emotions. Um, For the unsaved person, there's a certain level of melancholy or downness that God's actually trying to use to draw men to himself. Like I have found we almost have to hit bottom, don't we, to look up. And so a lot of the depression in our culture, I'm not trying to spiritualize some of the physical things we'll talk about in just a moment, But much of the depression in our day is just a desperate need for the gospel, right? And God, in his grace and mercy, allows the world to feel, in part, what it's like to be without him. Um, And so for the unsaved person, that often is at least a part, theologically, of why they're maybe battling depression. So be careful not to try to help someone out from under that, where God's trying to use that to bring them to himself. Try to partner with that. Be sensitive to how God can even use that that melancholy or that depression to bring them to him. For the saved person, is it possible for a saved person to be in the center of God's will and still to be battling depression? Well, I mean, Matthew 26, right? Um, in fact, read the Psalms. Um, one, one counselor said this, it's a myth that faith, the profile of faith is always a profile of smiling. Sometimes faith isn't smiling. Sometimes faith is not perky. Um, And so it's possible. We see this evidence all throughout, especially the Psalms, um, that we can have our faith in God and still be battling with or dealing with um, depression. So depression is not the opposite of God's working. It is often the means to him accomplishing his will in our lives. The key is that we go to him with it, that we come to God with our depression, we come to God with our our down emotions, and we allow him to meet the needs that we have. All right, so that's our theology. Number two, psychologically rooted feelings. You do know the mind is a powerful thing, right? We're not talking about the brain, the organ. We're talking about the mind, our ability to process and think that our thoughts are largely our destiny. They often shape where we're headed and how we're doing on so many fronts. And so how we're thinking often is is a root cause of depression. And the specific example I give you would be trauma. Much depression is brought on by a traumatic event. You do know that that trauma is very subjective. Like there are things that would traumatize you because of your background and history that would not affect me in any way. There are things that would traumatize me because of things I've been through that probably wouldn't even ding or dent you. Um, And so trauma is very subjective because trauma or a traumatic experience is often how we think about it, how we process it. Um, And so that trauma often can lead to depression. Uh, the trauma of losing a spouse. Uh, I'm getting ready to do an intensive with a missionary in a couple weeks in Florida, and we're just meeting for three days. Their family lost one of their sons. 
inevitably, when you go through seasons of grief, you're going to probably battle with depression. Um, that's because of the psychological effects of what uh, that individual has gone through. Uh, thirdly, um, biologically rooted feelings. Um, sometimes our depression is connected to our body, something that's going on physically in our body. Um, and I would give you just a few root causes physically that have been proven medically, scientifically, that they feed at least or they um, add to our sense of depression. Uh, anemia, arteriosclerosis, low blood sugar, thyroid disorders, hormone imbalances, infections, even dehydration. Um, just being dehydrated can lead to uh, the feeling of being depressed. So our bodies uh, do affect how we feel specifically in this area of depression. Um, and here would be my recommendation to you. I do this all the time. If you have, if you have persistent down emotions, you ought to consult with your doctor. In fact, a lot of symptoms we have depression-wise are what are called somatic, which means having to do with the body. Um, and so one of the key things I do in counseling is I will often say to them, before we deal with other issues that might be a part of the, your depression, we need to rule out biological sources. Um, and so they will get a full blood screening. They'll get some other consultation. Um, and so I would encourage you, if you or someone you care for is down and it almost seems like there's no reason for it in other maybe areas, um, I would start with the body and make sure that you've done a full uh, workup on other things that might be the root cause of that. Um, just We'll talk about anxiety tomorrow, but there are also physical things that can feed that as well. And so we need to deal with the physical roots of our emotions. So basically what I'm saying is this. The feeling, listen to me, is not just coming out of nowhere. Our feelings are rooted in something. And the key is instead of just being the victim that we want to be, we feel that that's, it just happened to me, trying to be more decisive and letting others help us figure out what's behind that. Some of us have more of a tendency toward depressive seasons or episodes, and that's just our lot in life, and we have to navigate that. But a lot of times there is something that's a root cause, something off in my understanding of God, something off in my mind, how I think or process certain things or trauma, or thirdly, it could even be as it relates to the body. And the best way I can put it is this. It's almost like the dummy light on our dashboard. You know, the light goes off, like mine went off driving here. I need to get my oil changed when I get home. Um, but the light itself, I can't just duct tape over it, right? That is, we're all tempted or have done that, right? How'd that age for you, all right? And the vehicle now in the junkyard, you know, that you... It, so the emotions are just, they're the dummy light, if you will. And what we need is God's help to what's behind that. Does that make sense? So our emotions are often, they're, they're a warning sign. We are emotional beings. God's given us our emotions not to follow our heart, but to let our heart be a reference point. Something is off. Um, and so if you feel that in your life, there's darker moods and emotions. Uh, ask God for his help. If there's anything we can do to help you, we'd love to do that. Uh, in in any way that we can. So identifying and analyzing it uh, with the Lord's help. All right, number two, go to verse 38. So he admits, or he, first of all, he's decisive in his emotions. Number two, verse number 38, then saith he, notice that word, then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. So admit first with de 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 uh, decisive, not divisive, <laughs> admit with decisive feelings. Number two, Admit with decisive words. Admit that you're struggling with depression with decisive words. Um, any of you know what the game is, speak out 
any of you remember this game is a few years ago. It kind of was the craze where you put these like plastic things in your mouth and it won't let you enunciate words. And as you're drooling and slobbering, everybody around you is trying to guess what you're saying. Um, our boys had gotten a game a few years ago and their teenage buddies are over. And my job was not playing the game. It was cleaning those dumb plastic things. <laughs> and I'm like, sal- like saliva is just like, like, you know, all these teenage boys with their great dental hygiene. I'm sure I'm like trying to clean these things off, but trying to enunciate. Have you noticed when we're depressive that we tend to be antisocial? Like we, I've noticed everything in my life that's wrong. My natural response of fixing it usually is the opposite of what I should do. I want to eat myself into a coma. I want to, you know, whatever the thing is. But and often what happens is we, we close down or we close off when we most need to be open to others around us. And the way we open up is by expressing it, verbalizing, uh, saying to others around us that we have uh, a need. Key point today, over and over, every study I'm reading, talk therapy is just as effective as chemical therapy. I'm not trying to discount all chemical therapy today. We don't have time to get into that. But talk therapy is proven over and over, study after study, is just as effective scientifically as chemical or a medication. If that's true, then we're a fool to not, when we are struggling with depression, someone we trust and someone who is understanding and gracious, to not open up to them and to verbalize how we're feeling, to think out loud, to feel out loud, and to let them in to that down moment in our lives. So let me give you two things quickly as it relates to our words. Number one, our words need to be direct words. Um, Can you imagine the disciples hearing Jesus, the one who's always had it all together, saying, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Um, Jesus was blunt with them. He was direct with them what he was going through. He didn't beat around the bush. He just said it as it was. He was sorrowful even unto death. I know for me, when I think of the Garden of Gethsemane, in my mind, if I'm not careful, Jesus calmly and resolutely just leans into the cross. That's not what Matthew describes here. In fact, Luke says that Jesus was under such intense pressure that he suffered from what medically is called hematohydrosis, where there was so much stress on him that his, the, the capillaries in his forehead, the, they burst, the blood capillaries, and through his sweat glands came drops of blood. The pressure that was there. So Jesus doesn't have it all together here. Yes, he's aligned with God. He's going to do God's will. But he says to the men nearest to him, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. So we have to be direct in our words. Nothing frees us from depression more than just saying how we feel. Not just to unload or to vent, but to let God through those in our lives bless and help us and maybe respond back to the words that we say. Direct words. But notice at the end of verse number 38, he says, tarry ye here and watch with me. Number two, They're communal words. So they're direct words, but number two, they are done in community. Um, I know for me, when I get mad or I get frustrated, sometimes it feels good if I'm in the flesh to go off by myself and just say something. If we're not careful, we we process depression verbally, but we're not doing it with others in our lives. Specifically, people are going to help us. We may tell someone, but it's just someone to unload on. Um, And so our depression needs to be processed in Christian community. Jesus let these men in on this situation. He said, stay with me, be with me in this moment of uh, depression. 
All right, let me give you a few practical ways to do this. So where do you and I go to find listening ears? Um, These would be nothing profound, but just some practical things. Number one, go to your God-given leaders. So when you're depressed, and if you are depressed today, have you told those that you know God has put in your life as a spiritual leader? Your pastor, um, your spouse, your parent. The tendency, again, is to isolate, to pull back, and to not share what you're dealing with. Um, And so we have to push against that by sharing with those that God has obviously put in our lives. And then with their help, maybe it is consulting with a doctor or other outside resources that can be of help, but begin with God-given leadership. Number two, consult with your physician. Some of what you need to say shouldn't be said to me or to your pastor. Your physician needs to hear that. Here's the symptoms I'm having. Here's the things that kind of trigger this or started this. Um, You need to consult with your physician. Don't be scared of that relationship. If possible, find a Christian doctor, someone that can uh, bring more than just the physical to bear. Uh, Thirdly, commit to daily reading God's word and praying. I know that sounds obvious, but I have found when I'm down, choosing to do the spiritual thing pushes back against what I want to do emotionally. It, It changes the trajectory. It shifts my focus away from just my emotions to something that is uh, more important. Um, And obviously the elephant in the room today that we won't talk about at length, but where does depression ultimately lead us? Self-destructing, right? Either just destructive behavior or we actually take our life or at least attempt to. Depression, listen to me, will never be successfully navigated alone. I've never read someone say the more isolated I got, the more I was able to deal with my depression. That's actually the opposite of the place of healing, the direction toward healing. We've got to be around others and specifically those that God has put in our life. And then lastly, practically, share life with a trusted Christian friend. Find someone you trust who is a believer, who knows you struggle with depression, and let them have full access to your life. Um, That has been the key component with these other things that maybe are a little more obvious, um, someone who can help you process those emotions. Um, uh, And so we need to be uh, open to areas that God gives us uh, to grow in that. Um, Just a word of of maybe other side of the relationship. What if you have someone reach out to you who is struggling with depression? Um, I think we love them. We listen to them. But if there is, listen carefully. If there's any, the thing I'm listening for, ideation is the technical word where they say I'm depressed and you say, and they say, I'm thinking of ending it all. I'm just done with life. I will ask them this one question. Have you thought about how you would do it? Have you making any steps toward that? If there's any indication immediately we're calling emergency services. We cannot treat this in a, in a light way. I've had situations where that's happened, and I'll say to them, you need to call, and if you won't, I will before you leave my office. Uh, we have got to deal with that in an urgent way. Um, that's part of our responsibility as believers. So just encourage you to think about both sides of that and what your responsibilities are in that, but share in that, share depression with those that you're dealing with it or someone else's, be open to listening. Sometimes people just need you to listen. Um, and I know for me, if you ever had, how are you doing? And they're like, well, actually, I'm not doing so well. And we want to like, move away from that conversation as quickly as we can. Um, we're doing a disservice um, to our ministry and to those that we impact. We need to be that listening ear as well. Um, the next picture I wanted to show, this is of uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. As I mentioned, I was there uh, been January of 22, um, so a year and a half ago. And this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And 
typically olive trees live almost 2,000 years. They, they're amazing, you know, uh, plants or trees. And if you can see there, you see the tree and then you see the little stone prop. So typically when an olive tree dies, it dies and then right in the same place will grow a new one. So it's possible that this tree that I'm looking at, took this picture of, is at most one generation removed from the very site and place and maybe very near where Jesus is here in Matthew 26. just blows your mind to be in that space, to be in that air, that zip code. Um, But then can you notice the little word at the bottom there in stone? What's the word? Peace. One of the things I was most convicted by when I was standing there and praying there, we had a little bit of time. It was kind of a rainy day, and we each kind of peeled off near an olive tree and just, just trying to process that moment, is I just asked God for forgiveness of how often I opt out of his peace when he has so obviously secured it for me in this place. Um, depression convinces us there is no hope, there is no peace. And the Jesus who is honest about where he's at here and invites us to do the same He provides for us so much, but listen to me, we have got to admit that we struggle. To avail ourselves of his solutions, we have to be willing to admit humbly that we're in depression. Depression and pride is a lethal, a lethal cocktail, a lethal combination. We have it and we won't admit it. Um, And so I encourage you to be open to that as God gives you hope and healing. All right, number two. Secondly, we have to submit with our depression. So we admit it. Number two, we submit to the Lord with it. Um, any of you wish that you could, go back to your, you could go back to your childhood where you had people who took care of every need? You had no bills. You didn't worry about you know, the grocery inflation prices that we're all dealing with now, and the cereal boxes are the same. You know, they're more, but they're smaller, right? So we're dealing with shrinkation and inflation, as they would say. Um, and uh, you know, just how light and carefree it was and Somebody was joking about this the other day. They said, do kids realize how great they have it, that they have people who schedule naps for them? <laughs> like, I, I would, have you thought about, I mean, I, I might even post this on Facebook. I am looking for someone who will open up my schedule every day for an afternoon nap. You know, just, I mean, we just, they looked out for us, right? They took care of us. Do you know that God, the one that we have to come to with our depression, that he cares for us? that he wants to oversee not just the positive, upbeat moments of life, but the downer moments. Um, Someone said this, God comes toward us not as an executioner. He doesn't come to us as an executioner. He comes as a surgeon. So when God comes near us, even in these low moments, he's doing it to refine us, to grow us, to strengthen us, to, to teach us something. And so coming to God with our struggle is... Uh, productive. So we have to submit to him. We don't blame him. We submit to him with our depression. Uh, We surrender to him. So let's talk about two things quickly as we finish. Number one, submit to him with decisive prayer. So how do we submit our depression to God? We take how we feel in our depression and we say it to God in prayer. And we see Jesus modeling this for us. Go to verse number 39. So we submit to God with our down moments in decisive prayer. And he went a little farther and fell on his face, notice, and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So he submits to God in prayer. What kind of prayer? First of all, honest prayer. He tells God he would rather not go through what is about uh, to occur. He is honest with the Lord. 
in verse 39. In fact, in verse 42, he says the same thing. Oh, my father, if, it be, if this cup may not pass away from me. So he's honest with the Lord about what is the source in his view of his depression. He verbalizes that to God in prayer. Much of the depression we struggle with, listen to me, is because we don't dare get real with God. God does not just want to hear your perky prayers and your praises. He wants to hear your most gut-wrenching burden. We all know the, the hymn, Count Your Many Blessings, right? God also invites us to bring to him our burdens, to share with him what we're struggling with. And so Jesus here verbalizes that to the Lord. Somebody went through the Psalms and tried to categorize the book of Psalms, how many are positive and upbeat and how many of them are not. And according to this assessment, two-thirds of the Psalms, he said, were written in the minor key. Two-thirds of the worship and the praise and the intercession directed to God was honest, and by being honest, it was written in the minor key. And so we have to be willing to verbalize that to the Lord. I think a lot of depression is unprocessed depression through the avenue of prayer. Coming to God with actually how we feel and verbalizing that to the Lord or to the Lord as we see Jesus doing. All right, notice the end of verse 39. He says, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt, as thou wilt. The end of verse 42, thy will be done. Number two, purposeful prayer. So honest prayer, number two, purposeful prayer. I don't think Jesus here is actually asking to get out from under what he knew was the will of the Father but he was just verbalizing how he felt about it. And then there's silence. God doesn't give him an out, right? This is what he's going to have to lean into. And so we see this dialogue with the Lord and the purpose of God was that he would, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that he would give his life a ransom for many. And so this purpose of God, this will of God is where he focuses. I have found for me, as with any pain, depression is not really, the struggle with depression is not the pain. It's the fact it feels like there's no purpose behind it. I can endure almost anything if I know that it's going to accomplish something. Can't you? But it's the combination of pain plus this is random, this is senseless, why me, why us, why now? That is a, that's a difficult burden to shoulder, at least for the long haul. Um, if I were to ask you this word, what is the opposite, like an antonym? What is the opposite of fast? What word comes to your mind? Slow. If I were to ask you, what is the opposite of depression? What's the first word that comes to your mind? Happy. Um, The other day I was reading a man who, and I, I would agree with this, who said that actually the opposite of depression is not happiness. Listen to this. It is purpose. A lot of times what, what, what untethers us, what throws us when we're in a depression is it feels like none of this makes sense. None of this is going to head in a good direction. The opposite of depression is not as much a sense of happiness that we yearn for that as it is a sense of purpose. Um, And I think much of the depression we battle in our day is because we've lost our grasp of the fact God is in control of all things and he is doing something in all things, including the low ebbs that we experience emotionally. Far too often our depression is unresolved because we talk to everybody but God who both knows our pain and our depression and also has a purpose in it. Wouldn't it be nice to talk to the the person who made that thing that you can't fix or you can't figure out? We have that with our depression. We can go to the God who has a purpose and a mission even in our broken world with this thing called depression. 
Here's what I've found has helped me. This might help you. Start, stop listening to yourself. Start talking to yourself when you're in depression. And the best example would be Psalm 42, 11, where the psalmist says, Why art thou downcast, O my soul? Put thy hope in God, who is the health and help of thy countenance. So it's, in depression, it's less about listening to ourselves. It's much more about talking to ourselves, reminding ourselves of God's purpose and presence in the midst of that difficulty. All right, lastly, number two. So we submit with decisive prayer. Number two, we submit with decisive spirituality. We decide to prioritize that which is spiritual. When I'm depressed, um, the times that I've had at least, I definitely have not had clinical depression that I'm aware of, but I've had down moments, is I tend to focus on what is tangible, temporal, physical. Not that those things shouldn't be addressed, as we said earlier, but they get all the attention. They take first priority instead of that which is spiritual. I was preaching at Pensacola Christian College last fall, and uh, my oldest son, Ian, went with me. And uh, we decided to go to a soccer game. This was like the semi-final game for the collegiate, intercollegiate soccer teams from the different collegians at the college there. So this is like a, I, don't, I can't remember, I think it was like October. It's after dark, and we're out in this field. Beautiful evening in Pensacola, Florida. We're watching the game. I don't know barely anybody in the game, a couple of kids that we knew. And uh, went to the end of the game at 0-0, as most exciting soccer games are. You can tell how much, uh, sorry for you who love soccer or football, as you would call it. Um, but uh, so it went to overtime. I think it was five minutes. Still nobody scored. We're down like 30 seconds left. And there's this huge scrum or pile of guys right in front of the one end goal. And all of a sudden, you heard a kid scream. Everybody stops. And from where I was sitting, literally at midfield, I could see this kid's foot was not where it should have been. Someone had, I think the kid kicked someone out or kicked, tried to kick the ball, ran into either a leg or the post. Anyway, his foot had turned not just 90 degrees, it was more than that. And he was just writhing on the ground. Um, you, just, just scream, you just felt so bad. And it was about 10 minutes till the ambulance could get there. What do you do? There was nothing we could do. His teammates were trying to comfort him and but it wasn't like in that moment that we just said, hey, buddy, could you kind of shimmy over a little so we can finish this game? You know, We didn't play around him. In that moment, what was going on in his body was the first and only priority, right? Sometimes in depression, we get our priorities out of order. Um, and so the way through depression, the way in the midst of depression is to keep our focus on that which is spiritual, to be spiritually minded, even when the flesh is screaming, even when the flesh has no strength whatsoever, uh, we've got to keep the spiritual at the forefront of our mind. Uh, and we see Jesus doing this very uh, effectively. Look at verse 40. He cometh to the disciples, findeth them asleep, and saith to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. Here it is. The enter not in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Number one, we need vigilant spirituality. We've got to stay alert especially when we're down, to keep the spiritual things uh, in the forefront of our mind and in our heart. Um, so you have Peter who said he would never deny the Lord earlier in this chapter, and he can't even stay awake for Jesus. Um, and so we see this susceptibility of our flesh to give in where we think we never would, and so we have to prioritize that which is spiritual. Jesus, though, stays awake, doesn't he? He keeps praying. He is vigilant. Where man is inadequate, Jesus is sufficient. 
Um, and I love that phrase at the end of verse 41, the spirit is deed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Man's regener- regenerated spirit may have good intentions, but it must control the body to be successful. Um, and so that's the challenge is we, we want to please the Lord, but we've got to keep in check our carnal or our weak vulnerabilities, and we must prioritize that which is spiritual. The best way I found practically to help myself and others in, in depression is determine ahead of time what you will never do when you're depressed and determine what you will always do when you're depressed. Because if you wait until you're in the depressive episode or situation, your flesh will tend to rule and reign in that situation. So take things out of bounds, things that you'll never do. I'm never going to resort to this vice or this relationship or this whatever, and I'm going to always be in these areas consistent even when I am down and when I am discouraged. Vigilant spirituality. All right, and then lastly, notice in verse 43, He came, found them asleep again. Their eyes were heavy. He left them again and went again and prayed the third time, saying the same things. Lastly, focused spirituality. No matter what anybody else is doing, we have to stay focused as we process depression. Jesus stayed focused upon the will of the Father. Your spiritual walk uh, must ultimately not be determined by the people who both help and hurt you. Uh, it has to be determined by a focused relationship upon um, the Lord. Um, just because I showed it in the last session, this this picture was also from our time in London. Um, this is a picture of um, the, how, the main house that Churchill would have lived in called Chartwell. It's where he would have gone in the country when he wasn't actively leading a world war or something of that nature. And this is of his studio. That's actually the chair he would have sat in. Just need to walk into the space. And he, his whole, this whole uh, building is full of paintings that he painted. Churchill struggled with depression, as a lot of great leaders in history, Spurgeon, even some we would have in our Christian circles. But he referred to depression as the black dog. And he said that he would use different things to try to, his analogy was to kennel, to try to restrict or to get control of his bouts of depression. And one of the things that he would often use was painting. His own daughter passed away, and he painted different things that she loved. And Anyway, there's paintings all throughout this place. Using something externally to try to process this internal emotion. And here was the sad thing. The tour guide that was showing us, it didn't help. He would constantly look to these things, and not that painting is of, of the devil or not of any help or benefit, but he was trying to deal with core issues on a superficial level. And I think if we're not careful as God's people, we often are tempted to do the same thing. We all have that comfort food, right? We have that release valve that we use when we're stressed, as we've talked about, and we need the deeper things that only God's word provides us with on a soul level that give us hope and give us peace in, this, in the midst of stubborn darkness that we face. Um, and so I encourage you to think about where maybe you're using things like this just to kind of cope when God wants to give you uh, freedom from that and deliverance in the midst of it uh, with his help. All right, let's go to Revelation. Can we land there today? Revelation 21. Can I give you the end of the story this morning that should at least affect our view of depression? And I'm grateful that we have Revelation 21 that shines light and hope into this subject matter we've talked about today. Revelation 21. As you're turning there, I read recently a story of a lady who was processing depression. Listen to this brief story. 
She said, my parents had just begun to build their dream home in the country, and they were excited to watch the progress, were so excited to watch the progress that they moved into an old trailer next to the building site. But before one nail was driven, my mom had a fatal heart attack. Dad loved mom so much that he would have terminally been dispirited without someone occupying her chair. So I moved in with him. I left my home, my job, my friends to live in the middle of nowhere in a derelict trailer, which seemed porous to every creeping, crawling species of insect native to Texas. Worse, the shadow of my mother's death was like the sky. It spread over everything. It blighted any vestige of joy and left me wondering whether the heavy cloak of depression that seemed to swallow me whole would ever lift. But then God used my little dog Baxter to show me that it would. Sounds like our dog. Um, On the night of a new moon, when a swath of clouds masked the steering stars, Baxter ran from the trailer into the woods after some varmint that proved too tantalizing for his terrier instincts. I was away visiting friends, so my dad took his flashlight and went to find my beloved dog. Well into his search, the flashlight battery died. There he was in the midst of the black, surrounded by thick overgrowth of scrub trees, ravines, and old barbed wire fences without a heavenly body for light or compass. When I came home, the author said, the next morning I found Dad sitting in his easy chair, drinking a cup of coffee in perfect peace with one sheepish little dog at his feet. After regaling me with his harrowing tail, I asked him, what did you do? He looked at me almost quizzically and said, I just sat down. You just sat down, I asked. Yes, Margaret. I sat down because I knew that the sun would come up in the morning. And here's my encouragement to us today. No matter how dark it seems in this moment or it does for you this next week or whatever season's ahead of us, the sun is still coming up in the morning, right? Look here in Revelation 22 or 21. In verse number four, it says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their uh, eyes, and there shall be no more death. Notice this, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Because of that truth and the God who undergirds it with his character and his promise to deliver on it, at least we have some light at the end of the tunnel, right? We have some light that brings hope into our life uh, in the present tense. We can live in light of that in the here and now. And so I hope that you'll let that happen in your heart in the days ahead. All right, let me show you this last quote this morning. This is so convicting to me. When you're born, you look like your parents, and that could be even your emotional well-being or maybe unhealth. But here it is. When you die, you look like your what? Decisions. And that includes how we navigate these emotional low points that we experience. Um, I like to blame any and everybody, don't you, when I'm in the flesh? Well, because of this person or this situation or my upbringing or whatever. And those things all maybe factor even into this area. But at the end of the day, at the end of life, we look like our decisions. Not just when things are going well, but when we deal with things like this, this thing called depression. So I encourage you to think about where you can be more decisive. First of all, in admitting it, just own it. Say, I'm going to choose when I next am depressed to admit it to someone, first to God and then to those he's put in my life. And then secondly, I'm going to submit to the God who's allowed this. I'm going to submit to his purpose, his plan in the midst of this. And like Jesus we can see God use it to redemptively work in our lives and through our lives uh, for the benefit of others. So I hope you'll choose to decide to admit and to submit. And if it's someone you know, the first step is helping them get to that point they admit it. What can you do to facilitate that, to encourage that, 
And then secondly, let's, let's run to God with this. Let's submit to him. Let's submit to the resources and counsel that he's put in our lives. And let's seek the answers and the help that only he can provide. And as you do that, I found a lot of folks that I, I was concerned whether we were going to make any progress. But the moment they admitted it and they submitted to what God was doing, um, that begins the process of what God can do. So I encourage you to think about maybe where that applies in your life or someone that you're ministering to. All right, maybe a question or two. And if you want to say for a friend, that's fine. As I mentioned earlier, um, I don't know that admitting we have depression is easy to do in this setting. I hope it would be. Um, but um, what's maybe a couple of questions or maybe an idea, something you found helps you or someone that's helped you in this area uh, of dealing with depression. And I'm sure like with stress, I'm the only one that deals with this. <laughs> um, what are a couple of questions this, this morning as we finish up? Still morning for another six minutes here, so we'll open the floor. Questions on depression, helping others, working through it yourself. It's always the, yes, ma'am. Yes. And then I can speak to myself and yep. it's really helped me mm-hmm. to have God's word in my heart. I realize mm-hmm. what have I done to you've heard about? Yep. And then I start looking to all the good. Amen. And it, just, it just turns it around. Amen. It's so good. Psalm forty two is a great chapter. We think that probably it's when David was being run out of town by by his son Absalom. And he's got a guy throwing rocks at him and Shimei and I mean that was a low point in David's life. And he chose to to talk to himself, not to listen to himself. It's interesting in verse 5, it says, it talks about um, God's countenance. And then in verse 11, it sounds like it's the same exact verse, but he talks about his countenance. So in verse 5, it's God's countenance is is his help. And then in verse 11, he says, the health of my countenance. It's meeting face-to-face with God, our face and his face. That's where we find that hope and healing. Uh, through his word. Yeah. So if you, if you do struggle, I would memorize Psalm 42, at least five and 11 or all of the Psalm. It's a great, great song to get you talking to yourself instead of listening to yourself. Depression also, anxiety makes us hyperactive, like where we just, ah, I want to run in 60 directions at once. Depression, like we don't feel like doing anything. That's the struggle with depression is it, it, we don't have any drive or initiative, and so that's, that's where the mind over matter has to kick in. I don't feel like doing this, but I know I need to, and God wants me to, and so you choose with your mind. Exercise. I don't know if you struggle with exercise. Exercise has nothing to do with the body. It's all mind, isn't it? Like getting your body to do every day what it needs to do and maybe not do whatever that is. So much of it is the mind, and the same is true with depression. Though there are physical factors the mind over matter. That's, that's a key with what you're saying. It's a great, great insight there. What else? Either a hack or a help or something that you're kind of wrestling with in this area. Um, what about somebody who is depressed in your life? Maybe someone you care for and they want nothing to do with your influence. One thing I have found is I'm giving you, I don't think I gave you, um, the book I just read that illustration from is called Depression, The Sun Always Rises. If you wanted to write that down, it's a good little booklet by Margaret Ashmore, Depression, The Sun Always Rises. Um, You can get on Amazon. It's about 36 pages. I use it all the time in counseling. Um, Is someone who's depressed, they almost have to stumble on it themselves. I found, hey, here's something I found that's encouraged me. Not, I know you're suffering from depression, so here's a resource. Um, 
just sharing with them something that's spoken to you and just let it, let it rest. Don't even buy the book for them. Just say, I'm just going to text you or here's something that really encouraged me. And a lot of times in the privacy of their own life, they'll at least check it out. I've found that to be very effective, which kind of starts the ball rolling. Um, but they have to almost discover it on their own, you know, not feel like you lectured them into it, um, especially if they're family. You know, that's a delicate conversation. Who of us loves to have someone come and say, I think you're depressed? I mean, that's just not, that's a hard thing to, even if we know we are. So I think you have to deal with that graciously and maybe indirectly there. Anything else real quick? You guys are just perky people. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. So, Okay, can we close in prayer today and then I'll have Pastor come. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the joy it is to be here. Thank you that the gospel gives us the confidence to bring into the light our most um, deep and dark and often even intangible struggles. Thank you that we don't have to pretend it's not there or suppress it or ignore it. That, Lord, we can, um, we can fully own it and uh, come into your presence and into the presence of those that you've providentially put in our lives, starting with our spiritual leadership, um, our families, our church, and, um, and we can welcome others to do the same. I pray that this church and each of these dear folks that are here today and those tuning in online, that, Father, you would help us to first admit where we struggle in this area and then to submit to you as we see Christ so perfectly modeling. Depression is not always sinful. Uh, in fact, Lord, it is not synonymous with sin, but, Lord, it can, it can lead us in a wrong direction if we do not choose to take these two steps. And I pray you help us to do that. And then as well, Lord, that we would be uh, providing relationships that are conducive to others being able to do the same, that they could say to us that they're struggling in this area and that they would find in us compassion and a graciousness and a listening ear and that we would um, point them in the right direction. And then as well, we would help them to submit to your plan for their lives. Pray bless the balance of this weekend to your glory. Thank you for this church and this pastor. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You know, as he was uh, going through this, especially in Matthew 26, um, you know, we've seen that passage so many times with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, but never really associated it with mm-hmm. what he was going through. Yeah. Um, and as soon as he went to that passage, um, another passage of scripture just came so much more alive to me and um in hebrews chapter four he says for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted as we are all points um i mean yes we can we can look and we can understand and say yes of course we know Jesus is God. We we get that. But in his in that human body, you think of what he was going through. All points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And then what does he say? As exactly what you were going, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we have, may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's just from what we were going through, that that verse just 
man, that just became so much more alive um, to see that God wants us to come and, uh, and especially to help in time of need. And uh, what a great, uh, a great lesson this morning. Appreciate that, Brother Snowden. And uh, again, don't forget, be back. Um, we want to have you come back tomorrow night or tomorrow morning. Uh, at, uh, I'm trying to remember what our service times are. <laughs> um, 9.30 for our Sunday school hour. And we're actually going to have a combined class. We're going to have all the adults, the young adults, and the teenagers all in here. And it's going to be a Q&A. Um, as Brother Harley mentioned, uh, many of our folks have submitted questions. And uh, we'll kind of go through some of those without names. There's no names or anything like that. So it's not like uh, Brother Jake now says, you know, uh, no, not, nothing like that. Um, but, uh, but we'll go through some of those Q&As. Um, and then uh, if somebody has a question or something you'd like to ask during that time as well, um, that'd be great. Brother Harley will be here for that. Uh, and then, as many mentioned, um, uh, 1030, of course, our normal service, he'll be preaching um, and, uh, and using the gospel through that as well. And uh, then, of course, at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. So just really looking forward to a great day uh, tomorrow. I really hope this has uh, helped you this morning. Um, and uh, just uh, the first session, um, I wasn't able to be here to take notes and things, but I was watching it uh, live streaming things, uh, dealing with a really bad migraine this morning, and uh, just uh, could not even, couldn't hardly even open my eyes. Um, but I'm glad I was here for the second session, and uh, he didn't he didn't make me sick. I know he said that, but he didn't. Um, but yeah, just for the record, right? Um, but uh, but so we're really looking forward to that. And uh, so and please, um, he's he's around. He'll be here today. Uh, he'll be around tomorrow. If you'd like to uh, ask him a question, um, you know, maybe something you don't feel like asking publicly or something. If you'd like to pull him aside and just hey, can I ask you a question? I know he'd be happy to answer any questions you have. All right. Well, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll be dismissed, and uh, just look forward to what God has for us tomorrow as well. Father, we do thank you uh, for your love for us. Um, Lord, thank you that we can go to your word uh, to find the answers for all of life's uh, questions and difficulties, and uh, Lord, even though many times, uh, Lord, the world doesn't understand, yet as Christians, we can go to your word and we can see Lord, that you've given us the truths of your word to help us. Um, they're profitable for us, Lord. Your word is profitable. God, I pray that you'd help us to take these truths and apply them to our lives. Uh, Lord, maybe there are those that are struggling with some of these things. I pray that they would not just uh, push them aside and think, well, that was a nice lesson. But, Lord, help them to apply these things and uh, that we might use them to help others as well. Um, Lord, just to, to know you and to draw closer to you. And we ask that you just bless the services tomorrow as well. Just, uh, again, just give Brother Harley the words you'd have him to say and uh, to be able to encourage and help. And we just thank you for him taking time uh, out of his schedule and even being away from his church uh, to be with us and invest in our church. And we just ask you to bless him for that. Lord, just bless the remainder of the day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.